morning storyline man it it has been a while i was texting mike gathright earlier in the week and i was telling him like, like writing this talk feels like going back to the gym for the first time in a long time do you know that feeling like it's january 1st and you haven't been to the gym since you know last january and you think to yourself have these weights always been this heavy <laughs> but if if you go every day the weight becomes more and more comfortable and you get more and more confident picking it up every single time. And that's how this week has felt. It's just, it's just been a while and I've, I haven't been to the gym. And so this week has felt heavy, but it's been so good as well. I miss this. I miss putting words together to share with you all. But even more than that, I miss being together. I really miss being together. I know we're supposed to be positive and optimistic and try to hold everything in place, but whatever. <laughs> this stinks. 
I miss being with you all on Sunday mornings. I miss the smell of Bigby coffee and Red Coach donuts filling the lobby. I miss the random lunch plans that materialize post-gathering in front of the hub. I miss walking into the auditorium halfway through the talk because I got caught up in a conversation around the donut table. I miss gathering. I miss gathering with you all. And I would have never guessed that we would still be in this come December. This past Sunday marked the beginning of Advent, and that's a reminder of this season of waiting, of waiting for a deliverer to come and change the world forever. But it seems as if this Advent season, we're, we're waiting for the world to change in a very different way. Advent carries a different weight in 2020, and sitting in front of this camera recording this talk is yet another reminder that we're still waiting. What we're waiting for just isn't here yet. This isn't the same, and it feels heavier and heavier and heavier each week that goes by. I mean, can you believe it's December and we're still doing this? It's crazy. But there is a silver lining. Can you believe it's December? Yes, it is December. It is Christmas time. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and not even a global pandemic can take that joy away from me. Yeah, it's getting colder and darker, but it's Christmas time, and I love Christmas. I love the lights and the trees and the eggnog and the gifts. And the beautiful thing about this pandemic now, or I guess the pandemic edition of this holiday season is that all of my Christmas shopping is already done. Because while I was sitting in despair over our canceled annual Friendsgiving party, I distracted myself by filling my Amazon shopping cart with all of the gifts, and with a single click, it was done. I, you know, at least for now. We've got a long way between now and Christmas, so we'll see what happens. But I love giving gifts at Christmas time. I love finding those perfect presents that no one is expecting and would never buy for themselves and are completely surprising. I just love it. It brings me almost as much joy as receiving gifts at Christmas time. This year, there's a new layer of excitement because this will be the first year that Bo gets it, right? Like he'll turn three in March, but he's already started giving in to the magic of Christmas. One of his favorite things right now is just driving around town with Grammy and Bampa, looking at all of the Christmas lights. He loves his Advent calendar so much and he just wants to open all of the days at once. I like to think it's because he wants the meaning of Christmas to be fulfilled right away, but I really think it's probably because of the chocolate hidden inside. But anyway, uh, we weren't sure what he would think of Christmas this year. We knew that the day of he would pretty figure it out pretty quickly, like the more and more presents he gets because he's going to be spoiled by his family, that he would, he would figure out that this is a pretty special day. But all the pomp and circumstance leading up to it, we figured that would be lost on him until he experienced a fully conscious Christmas day. But no, he's all in. And every day he asks to watch The Grinch and is always looking for presents to open. He is completely bought in uh, to Christmas. And I cannot wait for that morning. He is just going to be a ton of fun. And that's we need that. We need a ton of fun because this has been a really tough year as a parent. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Pandemic would be hard enough if it was just Allie and I. But throw in a two-year-old, and it has been a very special season of life. I'm sure this would be hard without the coronavirus, but... 
and so maybe it's just a convenient excuse, but being a parent to a two-year-old, it's just plain hard. The opinions and the defiance and the rage and the my turns get exhausting. He's so fun and joyful and kind in one minute and the next he's taking his hockey stick and chucking it across the room because his chocolate milk wasn't delivered fast enough. <laughs> and you try to parent and discipline and show tough love, but he, he just knows exactly how to push my buttons and get me going. And like almost to the point where he feel, it feels like he's enjoying himself when he does it. But then there's that moment. You know, like when you finish the fourth book of the night and he finally accepts that the inevitable bedtime has come and he snuggles into your chest and he lays his head on your shoulder and you can feel him let go of his weight and completely trust that you've got him. There's no other feeling like it on the planet and it makes every tear-filled time out and mashed potato splattered wall worth it. He is equal parts terrifying and exhilarating at this stage and I am equal parts exhausted and filled with joy. The Eastern poet Cahil Gibran beautifully has a great way of explaining it in his famous poem on children. And I want to read that for you this morning because it's just so beautiful. Cahill writes, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backwards nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he also loves the bow that is stable. Man, I just love that picture that he paints for us. And I don't think you have to be a parent to resonate with that idea. So much of life is fully surrendering to the risk of giving all of yourself towards something without the certainty that it will mean anything in the end. In fact, I like to think it's the process of giving, not the outcome that is the meaning of it all. There's this great documentary series on Disney Plus that captures this idea beautifully. And during the pandemic, as many parents out there may remember, uh, Frozen 2 was released on D Disney Plus, which in the moment was a beautiful gift to us. But since that faithful day in April, I have now watched the movie in its entirety no less, and I'm not kidding, no less than 40 times. For whatever reason, Bo loves Frozen. It's in our weekly rotation somewhere between Elmo and Spider-Man. And, you know, he's gone through a ton of phases. Moana, Coco, Cars, Space Jam. But Frozen has remained a constant. And so sometime this summer when Allie and I were falling deep into the pandemic content rabbit hole, we decided to watch the Making of Frozen 2 documentary series. Yeah, <laughs> that's how deep we fell. 
But it, I kid you not, it is actually incredible. You see, it took them five years to build this movie. And even though I've now seen it a dozen times, I have this incredibly brand new appreciation for it. There's this one scene in particular where they're recording their orchestral parts for the big song, Into the Unknown, and the composers and art directors are hearing it for the first time. The notes that they had put on the page are finally coming to life through these instruments. And just thinking about it right now, I'm getting goosebumps. So just sit back, watch this, and take it in. This is the glorious day of all glorious days of orchestration because this is the day when we record over everything synthesizer and replace it with real instruments uh, and played by the best instruments in the world. These are the top players and to get them to bring our songs to life is like a dream come true. We can do Right, oh, yeah. uh, like really lean on it. He's got it. He, he only has accents, so we can have it. Okay. Okay. My one note is wanting a few like, more of those, a few more of those French horn, yep. like Got him. Yeah. You know, um, the thing that I, I had <laughs> you take out, and yep. maybe you should, maybe we should put them there, is, yep. are you out there? Do you know? Right. Right. That was, uh, I missed that, I missed that. Adina's on her way over. Oh, good. She should definitely experience this. Yeah. Okay. Ready to go.
man, so good, right? <laughs> I had tears in my eyes when I pulled that clip up this week. Just, it's incredibly overwhelming to watch. We literally just bore witness to someone's dreams coming true. The hundreds of hours of work of writing notes on a page and sweating and bleeding over something you have no idea is going to sound good until you hear it. But, but for what? What is all that work for? Is it for them? No, their work means nothing unless we appreciate it, unless we hear it and find the same joy in those notes as they do. And that's why they worked so hard. Sure. These are high caliber, high achieving people with self-oriented goals of career growth and accomplishment. But to watch the pure unadulterated joy, these people hearing all their work come alive, it's just really overwhelming and powerful. It's not mechanical and robotic. There's this sense that these adult human beings care as much about this cliche children's movie as my son does. And that's what I want. I want to give all of myself towards something, take on all the risk for a chance to bear witness to something magical and one of a kind. This song was their masterpiece in so many ways, and I wonder what mine will be. Do you ever wonder that? I heard another story like this in a book I read this summer um, by Mark Manson. It was in the story, one of the stories he told was about this famous painter named Pablo Picasso. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of him. The story goes that one day in the middle of his life, near the peak of his career, he was sitting in a coffee shop doodling on a napkin. Like many of us had done before, right? He was sitting at the table with a pen and a cup of coffee and the napkin that came with it, just drawing on it. But like, unlike many of us, this was Pablo Picasso, perhaps one of the greatest painters ever to live. And unknowing to him, a woman had recognized him from a distance and watched as he sketched on this napkin. And when Pablo stood up to leave, he was about to throw away his coffee cup and, and the napkin in the trash when this woman approached him and asked if she could have it. She asked if she could have the drawing. And he paused and he said, yes, it can be yours for $60,000. And then he slipped the napkin into his pocket and he walked out the door. He was about to throw it away. After all, it was just a sketch on a napkin and apparently it wasn't good enough to turn into his next great masterpiece. But it was the desire of this woman to have the napkin that instantaneously gave it its value. Had she merely waited for him to toss the sketch and walk out, it could have been hers. But it was his awareness of her desire that turned a seemingly meaningless doodle into a valued piece of art. So the questions I've been asking myself over these past three months have swirled around that sense of desire. What am I longing for and how hard am I willing to work for it? And am I just waiting for the world or is the world waiting for me to change? Last fall, my community group decided to work through the Enneagram for the third time. <laughs> yes, we have dedicated three different seasons of our time together to the same topic. But that's because it's that powerful. I've talked about the Enneagram before, but for those unfamiliar with it, just briefly, it's, it's merely a personality typing system that 
brings language and understanding to our foundational tendencies and subconscious motives. It's essentially trying to help us answer the question, why am I the way that I am? And it's been a really beautiful and important tool for me and my family and our group. And I think all six of us have walked away from studying the Enneagram with a better appreciation for ourselves and for one another, and I can't recommend it more. So last fall, we decided to engage with it again, but this time we added a twist. Instead of coming each week ready to talk about ourselves, we thought it would be fun to have our spouses present on our personality types and you know what it's like to live with that kind of person. Which for me, an eight was an exhilarating proposition, but for Emily, a nine, it was a bit nerve-wracking. And if you don't get that joke, then it's time for you to study the Enneagram. That's all I have to say. Anyways, Allie and I were sitting in our living room and I was asking her question after question about what it was like to be a six. And as I prepared to share, as I prepared to share about her the next night, and in the midst of all of it, I asked what I thought was kind of a fun and light and you know, arbitrary question. I asked, if you could trade lives with one person for a day, who would it be? And I was fully expecting her to say one of her favorite celebrities. But without hesitation, as if she had been thinking about it for weeks, she confidently said, Bo. And then she took a deep breath as tears welled just under her eyes. And she said, because I just want to know if he's happy. And then tears welled up into my eyes. It was this really powerful moment to realize just how much energy she had already spent wondering about that question. Is Bo happy? And can I ever know for sure? The reality is, he's the only one who can tell us whether or not he is happy. There isn't anything we can necessarily do on our own to ensure his happiness. And what I'm learning is that I don't get to decide how much love is enough for Bo. There isn't a prescribed amount of love that I can give him to guarantee that he will find joy and happiness in this life. And there's no assurance that he will feel loved. All we, all Allie and I as his parents get to do is to love him with everything that we have. Give him every ounce of love that we're capable of sparing and hope that it's enough. Bo gets to determine the value of our love for him. And it's only when we get to see his desire and appreciation for that love do we get to understand its value. And that is equally a terrifying reality and an exhilarating opportunity. It comes with incredible risk and a beautiful reward. I wonder if that's similar to what God feels. I wonder if that same terrifying reality and exhilarating opportunity is what God has said yes to with us. In the Gospel of John, um, there's a different version of the Christmas story than perhaps the one we're used to. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem to give birth in a, major, a manger amongst the livestock with shepherds and magi traveling from all over to come and bear witness. But John tells a different version of that same story. It's not an alternative story. It's just a different telling. And that's what I love about the Bible. Even within itself, it's, it is circumambulating. 
Anyways, in the opening chapter, the Apostle John is giving us both a creation story and a Christmas story. He starts with, in the beginning was the Word. And it's no coincidence that John is starting his telling of the story with the same three words that open the Bible in the book of Genesis. In the beginning. He wants us to know that this is a story that has permeated throughout history, from the beginning of time. He quickly moves on to the coming of Jesus. And in verse 9, we see his perspective on what we have come to know as the Christmas story, the reason why we celebrate this season. Verse 9 says this, The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, whoever believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. These are the God begotten, not the blood begotten, not the flesh begotten, not the sex begotten. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood and we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. My translation, God, out of his love, is willing to give everything to show you, to show us, to show his creation just how much he loves them by coming down to earth as one of us to show us just what his love and grace looks like in the flesh. I love that visual, right? The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The Apostle Paul puts it a different way in his letter to the church in Philippi when he says, having become human, Jesus stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. You see, God has given us the world, and yet we didn't even notice. So what more could he give us? Himself. That's what we're worth. God wants so desperately for you to feel his love, but he can't make you feel it. The God-given gift of our freedom stands in direct opposition to the gift of his love. And what is left is merely a terrifying and exhilarating opportunity to come down to earth and show us just how much he loves us.
Friends, God wants nothing but joy for our lives. When asked the question, God, if you could trade lives with one person for a day, who would it be? I'm confident that there would be zero hesitation as he responds with you. Because I just want to know that you're happy. This is the beautiful reality of God's grace. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are God's masterpiece. And he's overwhelmed with an incredible joy every time he looks at us and hears the music that we're creating. But just like those composers sitting behind the notes on a page, it's the instruments that decides what is enough. And we are those instruments. We get to decide how much is enough. It's our desire for God's love that gives God's love its value only means something to us when it means something to us and that's a choice we get to make 
we have the autonomy to experience God's love and everything that comes with it and ultimately decide whether or not it's worth it. But it's even deeper than that. But because, because regardless of our response, there is nothing that he wouldn't do to make us feel his love. So this Advent season, as we wait for the world to change, may you pause just for a moment and feel his love. In a year like no other, where grace feels limited and joy feels distant, may you know that the breath in your lungs is both a beautiful gift and an exhilarating opportunity. Do not waste it. May you and your waiting not hesitate to give and give and give all that you have been given and may you experience grace by giving it away and in turn be overwhelmed with a joy that is not distant but ever-present, swelling and dwelling among us. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Friends, Merry Christmas. I have just one more thing for you this morning. Christmas is a time of giving and receiving gifts. And in many different ways, I need to take just a brief moment and humbly ask you to consider how you could give this holiday season. My role at Storyline is to remain connected to our impact partners. And really what I'm hearing is right now, the only way to help is money. Many of our impact partners are seeing a shorter financial runway than normal. And if you're able, would you consider giving financially towards Mosaic or the emergency shelter or the soup kitchen or Young Life or any one of the incredible nonprofit organizations that our community is blessed with? It's a privilege and a blessing to serve alongside these organizations. And now is a time where they need us more than ever. If you need more information on how or where to give, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at the email at the bottom of the screen. But thank you. Thank you for considering it. And grace and peace to you. Have a wonderful Advent season.